This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Tales from the Pros. And this is Michael Giorgio, your host and co-founder of Imagine Ovation. My guest with me here today is a writing guru and influencer who has been working for years with top tech news and digital publications, such as TechCrunch, The Next Web, and now is editor-in-chief at Crunchbase. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you tech companies know where Crunchbase is and uh, TechCrunch as well, which are you know massive on the internet. Please welcome Alex Wilhelm. Alex, thanks for being with, with me here today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a good day for a podcast. It's a billion degrees on the East Coast, and I'm feeling relaxed. So let's do it. <laughs> and you're and you're saying you're in Providence now. I'm actually in Raleigh, North Carolina. So it's kind of rainy, rainy and, uh, and hot here. Oh, well, you know, I, I split my time between San Francisco and Providence. And so I spend two weeks in the month in the fog and the cold. And then I come here and it's like blistering sunshine. It's a shocking contrast. Big country <laughs> we live in. Cool, man. Cool. So Alex, uh, you know, it's great having you here. And and what really inspired me, man, to, to reach out to you and have you on the podcast is because I, I see your awesome tech news articles on Twitter. Uh, you know, I see that you're very heavily active on Twitter. And, and uh, you know, as you know, I, I also own an app development and technology company known as Imagine Ovation. So yeah. I thought to try and get into the mind of someone who essentially understands where technology business and companies in our country are going uh, in today's U.S. economy, and just giving others insight on what it takes to receive engagement and also interaction when writing content. So that's really what this episode is about. So it's good, you know, good for our uh, our our audience to really know uh, know what's going to be um, coming in the next few minutes. So yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. Cool. So first things first is tell us a little bit about your story, kind of background, how you got into to tech and business writing. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go way back in time and I'm going to do this uh, quickly. So I hope I don't, I don't bore anybody. Okay. But uh, I fell in love with money before I fell in love with tech. So back when I was uh, in elementary school, of all things, there was a little stock market club that I could take part in. And I, I joined that and I realized that money was awesome. And uh, what that meant was in middle school, I was the super cool kid uh, reading the Wall Street Journal in print. And by cool, I mean you know, not very cool. Um, so I, I really fell in love with like the stock market and um, the idea of public corporations kind of through high school. And then I kind of ran into tech by accident. And uh, once you discover the world of startups, if you're a business-minded person, you're enthralled because these are the fastest growing, the most interesting, the riskiest. It's kind of like watching you know the cars that are racing, but also are on fire. It's a, it's a ton of fun. Right. And um, when I went to college, I uh, got a job at a startup in Chicago. I went to school in Chicago. And uh, that company fell apart and uh, we all got laid off. So I uh, founded a company my first summer after, uh, after my first year of college and that failed. So you can see a theme here in my entrepreneurship efforts. And then mm-hmm. after that, uh, I started to write online to stay active in tech. And then I got hired by the next web uh, to be their first US reporter in my second year of, of college. And I did that uh, ever since. So I tried to be an entrepreneur and I wound up a technology journalist. I don't know what this says about either one of my roles, but that's kind of how I got to where I am today. I, I mean, they're both, I mean, I can definitely see how they're both related, though. Even from you going through that that struggle, right? You still, I mean, you you had a sense of what it took to kind of build a business, right? Even if whether it failed or not, it still gave you that experience to become a better writer. I would say. Oh, right? for sure. I mean, one one thing that you get if you found a company that fails, like we we you know we launched a product. TechCrunch covered our launch, ironically, because now you know I used to work there, and um, we got you know paying customers, and we had to shut it down because it wasn't going to work. If you've done that, you have a lot more sympathy for entrepreneurs that you're writing about. 
because you just know what they're doing is and how hard it is and how effectively lonely entrepreneurship is because it's kind of you against the whole market in a sense. So yeah, that did provide a lot of color uh, to my, or at least I hope it did to my perspective about how entrepreneurs do uh, when I write about them. So, you know, from your years of writing, I mean, you've been writing for how long? What, well over 10 years? Oh gosh, something like that. Yeah. I'd have to go back and count, but it's, uh, I'm on my fourth or fifth publication now. So it's been, it's been a minute. So from all your research and writing experience and startups, corporations, and just technology business, where do you feel technology's headed in the country? You think it's, it's a, headed in a good direction or what are your kind of, what's your insight on that? Yeah, I, I'm generally very bullish about the impact of technology over a long time frame. You know, one thing that we see a lot of that makes a lot of news stories is the short term disruption of tech causing pain among people. And, you know, a really good example of this that's going on right now is the continued carnage in the taxi industry that's been kind of wrought by rideshare companies, uh, Lyft and Uber. Now, I think long term, those companies are going to be a, a net positive to, to, to humans, if you will. But that doesn't really alleviate the fact that taxi drivers that had mortgaged all their assets to buy a medallion are in trouble. So when we look at the short term, you know, that's business can be a, a bit rough from the human perspective, but long range, uh, I'm quite bullish. And so this brings in a lot of stuff. You know, people love to talk about artificial intelligence, self-driving cars, these kind of like, you know, future-ish technologies that aren't quite ready yet, maybe five, 10 years out. But I think about what we've accomplished uh, through tech in the last 10 years, and then I kind of applied that model forward 10 more years. I'm quite excited. So if technology is good or bad, to answer your question, definitely I'd say good. Um, but then, you know, I'd also say it's broadening. And one thing that uh, we talk about a lot in Silicon Valley is what counts as tech? Because it used to be pretty obvious what was tech and what wasn't. You know, you were making steel or computers. But now technology has kind of imbued itself into so many different things that what's tech is, is increasingly fuzzy. So I would say tech is a net positive in a very, very real sense, but also becoming a much more diffuse industry. Or more, perhaps more clearly, other industries are kind of becoming tech industries that weren't before. So I, you know, that's kind of my my overall take. I can narrow that down if you'd like, but I think that's how I put it uh, in response to your question. That's a great answer, man. I, I never expected that to hear that because now my mind's really open. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, that's it's true. It's really hard to define tech companies now. It's not, you know, years ago you you think it's just like a, you know, like building up like a, a, a web development firm sure. or, or whatever it may be. It's, it's not like that anymore. You know, there's construction companies now that are very techie, right? They have, they have these SaaS platforms Precisely. that help other construction. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, a company called Katerra, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, K-A-T-E-R-R-A, I think raised like $900 million round earlier this year. So even inside of construction, to your point, there's a boom of activity. I mean, everything now is seeing a, a wide pool of investment coming to it because there's so much money going into tech. But what that means is the pace of innovation in non-core tech verticals is, I think, a lot faster than it would be in a more moderate economy. So we're seeing this happen, but at a kind of even a more rapid pace of evolution than I think we would anticipate. So it's kind of doubly fun from my perspective because I write about this stuff. So the more that happens, the more stuff I have to, to, to write about. So it, it's it's an interesting moment in time. The only caveat to this that I would throw out is that you know we're we're what eleven years now into this bull cycle, and eventually, at least historically, uh, all big runs in the economy have a bit of a downturn called the business cycle. It happens. So I'm curious what's going to happen when that does eventually come, and we do have a bit of a downturn. How much of this uh, expansionary tech work is going to persist? How much of it was uh, smoke and mirrors? How much of it's real? And uh, we won't really know until there's a correction. So in the next couple of years, we'll find out. Who, who's a charlatan and who isn't, but I'm optimistic. Like I said. Yeah. And it, that's a great thought, you know, because if you think about it, there's so many 
startups now. I mean, are all, all you know, everyone and their moms and dads and their grandpa is starting a business. Right. <laughs> so with that being said, the market is incredible. I mean, at least for, this is my opinion because I started a business seven, you know, I've been running this, I've run a company for seven years now and it's just incredibly saturated. There's a, it's, it's an amazing market. It's a booming market now, but the thing is it's, so many companies are doing the same thing and different things, but it's just so there's so much saturation. It's like a, it's like it's like putting uh, like Facebook or Twitter on, in the real world. Like we're experiencing it in real time. You see what I'm saying? It's like actually putting Facebook where I can. It, it's like it's hard to explain it, but it's like a social media real world, not just online, <laughs> but the real world. It's like cluttered. There's a lot going on. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think our attention has been fractured, you know, 47,000 different ways. I mean, right now, as, as, as I talk to you, I'm surrounded by a couple of monitors and I'm deliberately not paying attention to them. I'm trying to be as single focused as I can be right now. But um, I think we used to have very strict categories. Social media was just that. It was social media, the media that you shared socially. And now Facebook is you know, a Leviathan, an octopus that's kind of wrapped itself around your face to steal all of your, all of your attention. Everyone's competing for your time. Netflix wants all of your hours. Reddit wants all of your hours. Facebook wants all of your hours. Um, this is the part of tech that's probably less healthy than uh, the more salubrious elements like the artificial intelligence and whatnot. But I don't know. Here's a question, Michael. Sorry to throw it back on your own show, but are you worried about the, uh, the amount of time we spend right now on our smartphones? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I am actually worried and it, it sucks to say that because I mean, just me being transparent with you, it, it's addicting. Yeah. You're, you wake up, right. You're, you wake up, your phone's right there. And you know, I, and I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm in this stage right now, my life, uh, as a, as a business owner and, uh, someone who works a lot is I'm trying to make my mornings, uh, a lot more about me mm. than that about my phone. And unfortunately it's not a hundred percent there yet. It's just changing habits. And I think you know that's a great question because we're so relying on our phone right on our phones right now, and it's it's just I think we're losing a lot of that human connection, and it's a it's a it's a concern. It's a huge concern. Absolutely. My my fiance and I just subscribed to the uh, New York Times in print, and so we sit on our back porch here in Providence and we do the crossword together in print, um, just to have some time before we both go off to work. That isn't you know us on our phones or anything like that. It's actually just analog, old school, face to face. Uh, so far, so good. But I'm amazed that I have to actually invest time and money into getting that. You think it would come naturally, but we're so digital now. Uh, it's just not the case. Was, I feel like I've derailed us and I've taken us off topic. So I'm going to throw it back to you. No, no it's, good. It's, it's a great question. It's a huge concern, I think, with a lot of people. But as you, you, I mean, you said yourself that you, you know, you interviewed uh, Gary Vaynerchuk way back years in the day. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I told Gary V that, he'd be like, oh, F this, F that. You know, it's all, it's all your mobile's opportunity. Yeah, it is opportunity. I agree. But it's also, you got to, I mean, in a way, you got to balance that opportunity. You know what I mean? Yes. There's a lot of things you have to, you can't lose that human connection. It's, it's, you, there's a lot of value in, in, in me sitting with you. If you're here in Raleigh or I'm up in Providence, we're actually sitting talking. I can see the, the intent and the emotions on your face when we're actually talking. Mm, yeah. Then, what I'm saying is different. It, it is different. And, you know, one last little note of this, and then we should move on. But, like, you know, I, Crunchbase is uh, an SF-based organization. We have relatively high-end video conferencing equipment. So when I'm remote uh, half the month, I do a lot of video calls into meetings. And even though it is, you know, high fidelity, good latency, big TVs, it's still complete crap compared to face-to-face. -to -face. It's still nothing compared to actually spending time with one another. So, you know, I, I think if technology ever does get us across that gap, uh, we're not anywhere close. I don't even think we have the right ideas about how to get there. And that's why mostly I like to hang out with people in person still. 
you know, call me, yeah. call me old fashioned, if you will. I agree. No, I love it, man. It's, it's good. I, I completely agree with you. Um, so Alex, you know, reading some of your articles on startups and do you see any trends regarding their success failures? I know we touched about the touched on this a little bit a few minutes ago, but just their success failures or how easy or difficult it really is to actually create a successful startup into a company, into a legitimate company. Yeah. So I'll answer, I guess, part of that first and then we'll dig, in, dig into the rest of it. But you know, one thing that people say is that it's so much easier and cheaper today to start a company. All you need is, is an app. And you can, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what people don't really understand is the, the cost of engineering talent inside the technology world has really, really gotten, well, I mean, how to phrase it, it's, it's become a lot more expensive, right? So it's very easy to start a company now and maybe to build an MVB product. But if you want to staff up an engineering team, it's incredibly high cost. And so how to, I just, it, it's people I think have the wrong perspective about how this is going. And so people, I think, get a little bit into the entrepreneurship realm before they should. And they end up not being fully cognizant of what it's going to take. So one thing that I think is a, a very high indicator of success in startups that I see uh, in the Valley and also on the East Coast is how soon they focus on revenue. And if you go back to the kind of Snapchat era of unicorns, um, people weren't concerned about revenue. They were really concerned about kind of big consumer hits. And then you can monetize them later. But don't worry about that now. Just raise more money and whatever, whatever. That, I think, has mostly failed. Um, a couple of examples, you know, will stick out like Pinterest is going to be fine. Snap's kind of okay. But mostly I think startup durability as opposed to s sacrificing that for speed and fragility is going to be a long-term winning prospect. And that's why, frankly, the SaaS market or software as a service market has been so strong um, over the last five, maybe seven years now. So that's kind of how I think about it. Like the creation costs are much higher than people think. And uh, durability over speed and fragility is probably a bias that I would be willing to take. Um, and then one quick caveat about locations, you know, we talked a lot about today about how, you know, you and I are in different parts of the world, but, um, I kind of came up in the Chicago tech scene where I went to school and startups in the Midwest have a much higher revenue focus than startups in Silicon Valley on average. And I think that's going to bear out, you know, you, Seattle's kind of cloud town and Silicon Valley is kind of like hyper social weirdness. LA is kind of its own thing, but Chicago is known for having kind of conservative ish companies. And I think it's going to serve them well in the eventual downturn. So I hope that answered part of your question. Well, it was a, it was a great answer. And, and I think it's easy to say, oh, you're an entrepreneur. You started something. You have this idea and even creating the app, but you have to have the business mindset behind that. And I've noticed that working with tons of startups for, for years is a, a lot of them. What happens is they don't, they, they have this amazing idea. Apparently the next Facebook and Uber, I'm, I'm, you know, you hear that crap all the time. I got the next Uber of this Uber of, of course, that, of right? But the thing is that, is that they don't understand the business side behind that. You have to know how to run a business. It's not just having an idea. A kid can have an idea and even a kid can code nowadays. There's kids that are eight, nine years old that are coding. I know. It drives, it drives me nuts because I still am terrible with code. But yes, yes, you're right. Yeah. But it's it's so – it's just – it's crazy how you think about it. You know, you have to understand the business, uh, how to run an actual company or a business and, you know, and alongside of just having an idea. So – but uh, no, that's that's great. So, you know, jumping into investors, Alex, and funding acquisitions, you've written about sure. that. Do you think startups and even companies, startups and companies in general are always relying on VCs and angel investors to keep them afloat, to keep them going? Um, or are you seeing organically growing companies as well? You know, so I, I, I bet I would see a lot more organic growth if I was looking for it. But one thing that I do focus a lot on is the venture capital space. There's an inherent bias in how I look at the market today. Um, 
And I, I do think that we see a higher level of companies depending on venture capital money than before because there's so much of it around. You almost can't not raise it. Because let's say you and I are both going to start competing companies, right? And I'm going to fund mine organically and you're going to raise $100 million in VC. By the time I get to any sort of scale that I have enough cash flow to really invest back in the business, you are going to have quadrupled, quintupled my size and stolen all my customers. And you can also afford to operate at a loss while I can't. And so just because there's so much capital available, you essentially have to take some, at least in the faster growing technology niches. Now, that wasn't always the case. You're seeing some companies um, like Pluralsight, for example, go public that had you know a decade or so of self-funding as they built out. But even that company eventually took a lot of VC and, and then had to go public. So um, I would see more of it if I looked for it. But I do think just the scale of capital available means that most high growth tech companies, at least, are, are pretty dependent on the stuff. And if they're still dependent on VC when VC slows down, as it will, because the business cycle always happens, they're going to be some serious yeah. trouble. So I would, I would caution people to, to wean themselves sooner than they think. But um, you know, I'm just one journalist looking at the market. So my, my opinion there doesn't carry too much weight, but that's what I would do at a minimum. My business partner says the exact same thing that you said. Uh, he's because we've talked about this, you know, whether, whether we need to raise capital in the future, but it's it's good and it's a possibility, right? Because you're always looking for, you're always looking to, to to increase cash flow. It's very good for cash flow and and hiring and so on and so forth. But the thing is, is that it's very it's it's very effective and important, valuable to know how to build a company and a startup without right. any money. You know what I mean? You don't because when you then that means you don't have to rely on VCs and 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 angels and whatever to 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 keep the momentum. You know what I mean? You know how to you know how to build that build. It might go slower, but you still know how to build it without any without your I mean with just your own money and not anybody. Well, else's. right. Then you don't have to answer to anybody. You don't have to meet anyone else's exactly. guidelines. You don't have to hit your numbers, or all of a sudden your VCs stop showing up to your board meetings. I mean, you, if you can control your own destiny, and this is just my own like, personal bias here, like yeah, yeah. I would much rather own. <laughs> my own shop and maybe grow a little bit more slowly, but also just maintain control and not have someone else be ready to push me as CEO off the cliff just because they think I'm not doing it correctly, you know? Um, but that stuff tends to happen more when VC is, is is less available. Right now, the big bias we're seeing, at least in Silicon Valley, is that there's so much capital out there from VCs and other sources that it's all quite founder friendly. And so what, what that means in effect is that founders who before may have been afraid of their VCs are now in a situation where they have a lot more power given how competitive the funding side as opposed to the entrepreneurship side can be. So it's been flipped a bit, the, the market dynamics. But again, that'll change. And uh, people will go back to being fired by their VCs, but not until um, the market changes. And it, it's weird to talk to you today because, you know, for all we know, tomorrow is when the downturn begins or next week or next month or two years from now. But eventually this podcast will be prescient. I'm just not quite sure when it's going to happen. Right. Expect the unexpected. Things are always evolving and changing. You just got to you got to be Especially ready, man. It's, it's very reactive and proactive at the same time, not just one or the other. But so, Alex, let's jump a little bit here uh, into into the overall like validity validity of news and and how do you as a writer and editor ensure that everything, not just you, but writers in general, that everything's written in is like actual factual. It's it's facts and not you know quote unquote fake news, which which we hear all, all, yeah, well, all the, the time. Yeah, the fake news thing is really interesting because if you go back to when that that term became known, it was describing literal fake news, like news that was not grounded in reality, that was whole cloth fabrications that was designed to be shareable. So it was literally false news, not news that had a fact wrong in it because you know news will make mistakes. It's written by humans. 
but it was actually fake news. And uh, I think now the term is thrown around mostly as a pejorative, especially in the American political context of news we don't like. Fake news, it, it, they mean something they don't agree with or they, don't, they wouldn't report it in the same way. So it's really lost its, its focus. Um, but your general point about you know, media accountability and, and, and what's valid, um, what I would love to do if I was you know, king for a day would be to have everyone kind of shadow a reporter and especially report at a traditional publication like the Times or the Journal and see how editing works, how fact checking works, just to, so they understand what's going on. Because one thing that's happened in uh, the modern American political climate is that people um, are essentially losing their faith in the validity of media wholesale. And nothing could be more destructive to our democracy than that, because what it does is it takes away uh, an independent arbiter from the um, coming to kind of a general consensus of what truth is. And once you lose a shared uh, reality, you essentially can't legislate or communicate. And you would end up with uh, kind of two political sources in the left and right, which would be disastrous because they're you know both biased political parties because that's how that works. Um, so I'm not really concerned about the validity of the news because I know how it works and my friends work for you know the biggest and most famous publications. I know how hard they work to, uh, to not be wrong and to not publish false things and how, how many corrections they publish uh, to make corrections when needed. So I, I just think it's more of an awareness problem as opposed to uh, a news having a structural issue. Uh, the only other thing that I throw in there is that in the, the kind of current digital news era, we are now very accustomed to seeing hyper-partisan but still journalistic entities out there. And I think that people should be able to differentiate those themselves between that and what the Times, Journal, and Post do. And um, that's a news literacy question on the reader's side. And that, I think, shows the one of the weaknesses in the current American educational makeup. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, uh, uh, Elon Musk is actually creating a uh, – he's creating – I don't know if you heard this, but he's creating an app application that basically what it does is it, it – it, I think there's AI logic in, involved, obviously. But it basically uh, – it vets out or it, it basically understands the credibility – of an ad, you know how you see all these ads on Facebook, like oh, the top, the best ways to to, to yeah, cut ten, ten ways lose ten pounds now. Oh no, I was I'm just sorry? making the same joke. Go for it. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's just all this crap that you see on all over all these ads. You don't know how valid they're, how how you know if they're actual credible people selling these products and services. So he's creating this this application that is going to give them like an like a like a understand like they're an AI score, understand like if it's actual credible. You know what I mean? Before you go and spend money. So it gives them this, this type of, I like, score. I like this. So it's a way um, to kind of vet the advertising world just based on what you've told me. I like, exactly. I like that. I think that, <laughs> I think we could all agree the ad world can be cleaned up a bit, especially uh, in terms of online digital content ads. If you're ever seeing things like tabula and whatnot, you can kind of see the, the basement of the internet right there. So anything to improve that would be fine by me. Oh man. So much opportunity for improvement. It's staggering. Someone listening to the show, please go build that company. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, so for other writers and just bloggers in general, do you, Alex, have any tips for uh, just people writing online content to receive higher engagement and interaction? Because it's hard to, I'll tell you, uh, this. the reason I'm asking this question is because it's so difficult to, I mean, you can have a good article like with grammar and all, all that. I mean, that's all, that, that's all fine and dandy, but to actually get, receive engagement, you think that's more about the promotion of the article, the marketing of the article, or do you think it's more about 
the 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 actual content piece of it. The, the, the yeah, so it, it's fascinating. So by engagement, you mean like traffic and tweets and all that good stuff. Yeah, so exactly. Yep. So I'll tell you about a piece that I wrote recently that did very well, and maybe maybe that can form kind of an example and and kind of answer your question that way. So, uh, have you heard of a company called Domo? Yeah, yes, so, I have. So Domo yeah, just went public, and the funny thing about Domo is that it had these really bad rumors attached to it forever in Silicon Valley. People were saying, you know, Domo can't monetize, it can't grow, it's in trouble, and then it just kept raising money. So everyone was kind of confused about what was going on. Well, as it turns out, Domo went public. And uh, when it dropped its S1 filing to go public, it's got a big document showing off its financial performance. It was terrible. It was so wildly unprofitable and growing very slowly and smaller than everyone expected. It was kind of the worst possible thing you could have. And uh, what I did was uh, we did a piece, I think I just detailing the numbers, but then I went through and I wrote an article that applied some very standard venture capitalist metrics to the company and then pulling no punches, detailed how terrible of a business that it was. Now, this was a, a highly technical I honestly kind of boring piece uh, and it did incredibly well. And I had to kind of think about why that was the case. Cause I do a lot of technical analysis stuff on, on startups and tech companies. And normally you get some reads and you get some comments, but that's kind of it. It's not big. Uh, this one blew up. And I think it's because people don't often um, people sorry, do often kind of pull their punches and, and, and hide back a bit. Um, but I think that the example shows that it, it's, it is, in fact, a content point because that piece got the exact same promotion that anything else that I write does. And yet it did roughly, you know, 20 times better. Um, and that annoys me because it means that my other stuff isn't as good as I think. So it's not hitting that same kind of nerve. Um, there's a lot of, you know, aside from just writing really good stuff, which is, I guess, that argument. And I only pull it off occasionally. You do have to have a really, really steady, broad uh, kind of approach to distribution. So at Crunchbase News, the little publication that I run now, we pay attention to everything from Flipboard to Y Combinator to Reddit to Twitter to LinkedIn to two different Facebook accounts. You know, And so what we found is we don't know which one of those outlets is going to be kind of a key driver of traffic for the day, but we're going to have a hand or a foot in every single one of them. That way we always have the chance of, of having a good result. Um, and that means that some of our stuff doesn't get as many reads as we like, but most of it does. Um, so we play the field, if you will, in that way. We're also trying to write the best stuff we can to have the best organic way if possible. Um, and there's probably a more intelligent way to go about distribution and promotion of, of written content, but not that I have figured out yet. Mm-hmm. And where do you feel content and news is headed considering all this new technology like AI? Where, where do you think yeah, it's Yeah, two, two answers to that. You know, One, I think AI has a cool place inside of written content. And you know, I've actually written about this, but uh, if you look at like earnings reports and that sort of writing, a lot of that stuff can be done by computers. It's just pulling you know, EPS adjusted versus expectations, blah, blah, blah. That stuff's fine. Let computers write that, let humans write more interesting stuff. Um, but where, where content is going in general, I'd say you know, I think subscriptions are fascinating. And we're seeing publications of all stripes really go after these kind of recurring dollars like software companies like to generate and I don't think everyone's going to pay five bucks a month to everybody. So I'm kind of curious when a company is going to come along that will aggregate um, all of these subscription points into one kind of mega super app. And that way I can kind of like click on and off and subscribe to all sorts of things at once or not. Uh, I think that's kind of where it's going long term. But I think right now everyone's so desperate to build up their own revenue streams on the publication side that there won't be that kind of cooperation for, for years. That's kind of where I see the broader uh, digital content world going. 
and you know what and anything regarding like audio just kind of the audio or well, visual yeah, it's, that's a really really good point thanks for bringing that up you know here you and i are on a podcast podcasting was supposed to be dead eight years ago and then it came back who who thought that was going to happen um I mean, it's a blast. I'm I'm really happy that podcasting is is here. Long form audio content is a surprising success story in the content world. Um, but on the video front, that's that's more difficult. So I, I when I was at TechCrunch, I, I think this is fine to share. We went through a big video push from above. AOL, which then owned uh, TC before Verizon bought AOL and merged with Yahoo to form Oath. Long story. Um, they decided that they were going to really invest into video stuff. And so I, I did a lot of video work. I had, I had a weekly show at TechCrunch. We did tons of video shoots and all that. It is 500 times harder than audio. Like it, it's not just twice. It's a huge multiple harder. And it only monetizes so much better. So I think we are going to see the great video push of 2016 through 18 kind of fizzle a bit. I think it's too high cost for most people to do well. And so you end up with very kind of poor video all fighting for the same distro channels and the same ad dollars. So I would say bullish about audio and uh, neutral long-term, but short-term bearish on most news video content. Perfect, man. That's, that's, that's great insight. So I always ask the, la the last three questions is, I call oh, no. it three hows. So how do you define failure? In quickest quickest way possible, how do you define entrepreneurship and how do you define success? Uh, I'll answer the, wait, what's the, which one's the first one? Tell me again. Failure and then entrepreneurship and then success. Uh, failure is when you've disappointed yourself. Entrepreneurship is when you've built something that's new to the world. And what was the last one? And success. Oh God, that's it's a brilliant question. Um, can I put it in personal terms? Yeah, yeah. So success yes. for me right now, just the way that I think about it in my, in my life is when I take really good care of my partner. Um, she's a, she's a doctor in residency. So her schedule is nuts. And so I'm running kind of like defense and support for her as much as I can. And so whenever, whenever I'm doing a really good job of, uh, making her life good, that's when I feel success. It's not a professional point right now for me. Um, so much as it is a, is a personal thing. Cool, man. I, I don't think I've had an answer like that from all the people I've interviewed. So sorry that it took me four, to four questions to get the three questions. <laughs> Personal is intact, man. Everything will fall, right. fall into place. So, uh, where can find you? Yeah, uh, if handle? you're on Twitter, I'm just Alex, just slash Alex. Okay, cool. Alex, thanks, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, I think uh, everyone's gonna find your your insights and knowledge very, very valuable. And um, I know you're, you know, you're busy guys, well. So, well, thanks for taking the time to. Uh, very kind of you to have me on. Me. I hope some of that was useful. And if it wasn't, or if you have any other questions, I'm just Alex at Crunchbase.com. So shoot me an email, and we can chat about whatever. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. This is Michael Giorgio, your host on Tales from the Pros, and until next time. <laughs>